Hey, hey, beer fans. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer. And Simple Homebrewing, still available at all your finest retailers. Go buy lots of copies. Christmas is coming soon. You'll need fire starter. <laughs> or gifts for your kids. Or for your dogs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Now, between the two of us, we have over 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and checking it out. All right. And on today's episode, of course, we're going to head into the pub to go talk some beer news because beer news is always happening. We'll head into the library to talk about a couple things before we get into the brewery, where we're going to talk about something Denny's getting to play around with and a couple things he's been doing recently. And then we stop into the lounge to talk to our good buddy Brian Pierce of Yakima Chief Hops about this year's crop because... As we speak, the crop year is winding up, harvest is almost done, and soon we'll have new, precious toys to use in our brews. <laughs> toys? I never thought of hops as toys, but maybe so. The way people are making their IPAs, they definitely are toys. But before we do any of that stuff, please listen to the people who make this show possible. This episode is brought to you by the American Homebrewers Association, publishers of Zymergy Magazine, organizers of HomebrewCon, and enjoyers of homebrew. Join your friends in fermentation at homebrewersassociation.org. And by you, our listeners. Go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Welcome back. We're going to start off, as always, with a few announcements. Yeah, and our big announcement, of course, is if you didn't catch it in your feed, and there's possible you didn't because the RSS feed was a little screwed up because I fat-fingered something in there. It's technical error caused by me. Uh, the last week, we did get an episode of Brew Files out, Brew Files 106, the dark side of the Kolsch, which is engendering a lot of response. Just keep in mind, it's not a Kolsch at all. I know. Well, remember, the beer name is uh, Am I Even Kolsch? And the answer, as you come to find out in the episode, is most definitely not. Um, but it's a really good conversation that I had with Andrew Bell and uh, Casey from Topa Topa, Andrew Bell from Radiant, about this collaboration beer that they did together that started off as a Kolsch and went terribly, terribly sideways. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. It's a good beer. Don't be thrown off by the fact that the, the Kolsch is in the name. Everything else about the beer is labeled as like a dark IPA, dark ale. Go listen. Meanwhile, don't forget that you can support the podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA Amazon Brewers Friends or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our channel cause. Which for this part of the year is... 
It's Project Freedom Ride. They're an organization that uh, works with other animal rescue organizations to bring dogs from Texas and Georgia up to the Pacific Northwest to be adopted and live with their new people forever. As I've said before, uh, my dog Britton came up from Texas via Project Freedom Ride, and uh, I'm very grateful for that. So help us help them. Throw us a few bucks. Go to experimentalbrew.com. Click on the Patreon link. Give what you can, and we will pass it along to them. Remember, dogs and cats are awesome, and so are That's you. That's right. <laughs> If you help them. And now, of course, it's time for that segment that we have every time you send us something. It's time for your feedback. feedback. And our one piece of feedback for this week comes from Jason from Wisconsin, who uh, wrote in to say, darn you, Drew. Jason, you wouldn't have had to tell me that you're from Wisconsin with that opening. <laughs> really? I was going to say, I say that many times a day. <laughs> uh, darn you, Drew. Now I'm hooked on watching lockpicking lawyer videos. Like I need another distraction in my life. And he's right because I think the lockpicking lawyer is now somewhere around 1500 videos to watch. Um, says I have also been watching the only murders in the building. I was excited about it when I saw the ads for it on Hulu and it didn't disappoint. I like most things Steve Martin has done. Hmm, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. If you hadn't had the opportunity, I would highly recommend reading his autobiography born standing up for an extra treat. I suggest listening to the audiobook. It's read by Martin himself. I think it adds a little something hearing him narrate the story of his own life. And no, the book doesn't start with the line, I was born a poor black child. <laughs> a classic line, isn't it? Yeah, a classic line uh, that I don't know if you can get away with today. <laughs> yeah, I agree, man. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have read the book. I have not listened to the audiobook. And yes, it's a, it's a good story. Uh, you know, I would imagine it does. Does he give like banjo lessons in the book? I can't remember. It's been, it's been a while. I've, uh, I've heard him perform with the Stone Canyon Rangers a couple times and man, he is really good. The whole band is great. There you go. See, now you have something to aspire to when you to form your own ukulele band. <laughs> no, man. Uh, I would never do that to people. <laughs> Thank you. The world appreciates you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, I think it's time to get out of here, stop this silliness, and go do some other silliness. So let's head over to the pub, huh? Absolutely. All righty. We're going to be right back talking to you from the Experimental Brewing Pub. Stick around. We'll be right back. This fall, Yeast is releasing the Harvest Cellar Private Collection, which features two versatile blends and a lager strain for any style. Our 1087 Yeast Bohemian Ale Blend complements the profile of your hop-driven recipes and higher SGs for crafting homegrown, fresh hop, and double IPAs. 9097 Old Ale Blend is back as the ideal base culture for creative fermentation, whether you're new to brewing funky beers or if you're increasing the complexity with a splash of your favorite lambic. To round out the quarter, 2000 Budvar Lager will create a wide variety of lager styles and is popular with professional brewers year-round. This strain is malty but dry, crisp, balanced with subtle fruit tones, and lets hop character come through. These strains are available now through the end of December. Visit yeastlab.com for homebrewing recipes and tips using these strains. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. 
the Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Welcome back, everybody. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere in cyberspace somewhere. And there's Brittany <laughs> chiming in, too. Uh, <laughs> I guess she's having a beer also. Drew, well, what are you drinking? Never, never, never let it be said that the uh, Experimental Brewing Pub is not dog-friendly. That's right. <laughs> and as We don't have any choice. It has to be, right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> and... I know I talked about it earlier in the in the forefront, but I am still drinking the Am I Even Kolsch, uh, again, from Radiant Brewing and, and Topa Topa. This beer amuses me. I know the Kolsch thing throws everybody for a loop, but I think one of the biggest things that I got out of both this beer and out of the episode was one that somehow improbably, impossibly, Black IPA seems to be making a comeback, which, okay, that's unexpected but i'll take it and then the other one was that using the colchies like they did here the in that beer they used the imperial geo3 deter colchies and i found out in the course of recording that that they're not the only places that were using that in kind of a hoppy beer topa topa uses a colch strain for their spectro hazy ipa and they're not the only ones in L.A. doing that. So kind of an interesting little uh, tidbit there about coal strains also being used for IPAs, uh, hazy IPAs, I should say. But the thing I like about that beer is just the fact that once you get past the the fact that Kolsch is included in the title, it is a bright and hoppy dark IPA. It has some interesting milk chocolate flavors and tones to it. And, you know, really kind of a nice balance of fruity hops and that chocolate kind of giving you a little bit of that um, – the Cadbury milk chocolate and raisin bar. You guys remember those raisinets? Oh yeah, Something oh like yeah. That. So a little bit of that mix, and that was part of the reason why I was really stoked to talk about that beer. And it just amuses me. You know, I'm 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 mildly amused, but mostly it's like this is like an inside joke that they really like, and everybody else doesn't know what they're getting when they get that beer. It's true, but at the same time, would you rather them make a beer with actual raisinets? <laughs> 
No, I would uh, prefer they make that beer and not say anything at all about Kolsch. But, you know, <laughs> that's that's me. That's my opinion. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Nobody cares. I am sitting here drinking a Pelican Kawanda Cream Ale. Uh, we have uh, started transitioning into winter here. It's getting cold. It's getting rainy. So I am uh, finishing off my summer beers. And I had one last Pelican Kawanda Cream Ale stuck in there. I picked up a six-pack recently, beer I hadn't actually had for years because I used to have it so often I kind of burned out on it. It is really a stunningly good beer. Uh, a little bit darker than what you might think of for a cream ale. They call it pre-prohibition cream ale, whatever that is supposed to be. But they they use uh, two-row flaked barley and dextrin malt in it. It's all Mount Hood hops all the way through. 5.4%, 25 IBUs. And it's really a nice beer. They uh, they talk about the clean, snappy finish, and it, it really does. It's, it's a really, really nice beer to have on a really hot hot day, or even not so hot a day when you're trying to finish off your summer beer stash. Well, I just remember a couple of times at the Oregon Brewers Festival, I think they brought Kawanda. And oh, yeah. I, just remember, I just remember always coming back to that beer during the day because it was like, I can drink a lot of this and it's hot out here. You know, and it, that beer, I believe, was introduced about 2000. Since then, it has won 55 awards in different competitions. Uh, you know, many, many in, in GABF and then all over the world also. So, you know, a lot of people like that beer. Doesn't surprise me. It is a really, really tasty beer. Also, thank you for alleviating my concern there. You're talking about like, hey, it's starting to get cold here. And I'm, and I'm looking, you're drinking a cream ale. Don't tell me cream ale is your winter beer. <laughs> No, cream ale is what's left of my summer beer. Uh, the uh, Russian Imperial Stouts, the uh, old Rasputins that I have stuck in the back, that's the winter beer. Meanwhile, I'm also jealous because today it's hitting 90 here, so yay! Oh, man, we we <laughs> won't even make 60 here today. Yeah, no, the past couple of days have been nice. We've been in the in the nice 70s, and now today, 90. Yeah. yeah. So Okay, nobody hmm. wants to hear about our weather. Let's move on, shall we? All right. So let's get into the beer news. We've got a, a couple of stories here to talk about. So you all will remember that Guinness has opened up an American brewery and tap room over there in Maryland. Well, it's just been announced that they have signed a deal to open up a second one, this time in Chicago. Uh, and apparently, from what I've seen in the articles and the press release, is that they're actually planning on up to three additional locations here in the U.S. So there may be more Guinness tap rooms coming coming around the, the country the Chicago tap room will also have a brewery in it. It's going to be 10 barrels. And just like what they're doing with Maryland, they're not going to be brewing, you know, Guinness stout there because that would be kind of like Coles to Newcastle. So instead the, the barrel, the, the 10 barrel brewery is going to be used more as kind of like a, here's some fun stuff, right? You know, the, the same way that most breweries nowadays will turn off, uh, turn out one outs, one offs, ah, the way that most breweries will turn out, one-offs so that you can have attraction to bring you back to the tap room. Same thing that Guinness is doing. The Guinness Brewery over in Maryland, uh, their brewing staff there has been killing it and winning awards and making some really good beer. So we'll see what happens with Chicago. And who knows? Maybe a Guinness tap room will be coming somewhere near you soon. So, like, are they going to be making hazy stout? <laughs> well, I mean, let's face it. With the stout, how can you tell? Um, well, you can tell. Yeah, but no, I I assume they'll be making, you know, a couple of IPAs. I know the Maryland Brewery has, you know, it's just going to be, that's going to be their way of playing and doing things that you could 
never reasonably sell as Guinness anywhere in the world. Although I still actually miss the, the well, I still remember from the mid nineties when they had Guinness gold. I like that. Guinness. Beer. Well, I don't remember that. Oh yeah. That, that was a beer I used to drink in college when I was feeling fancy. <laughs> wow, man. I guess I missed out on it. You did. And something else that you're going to miss out on. <laughs> it's our next story. Uh, <laughs> So you, you all will remember in the last episode we were talking about the sort of flattening of the seltzer trend. Well, as we talk about that, this week comes news that Boston Beer Company, a.k.a. again, the makers of Truly, which is, again, like half of Boston Beer Company's profits, uh, Truly is going to open a tap room here in Los Angeles in downtown L.A., which, of course, they're going to. Now, that that's just exactly what I've been waiting for is an all-seltzer tap room. You know why? Because you won't have to go there? That's exactly it. Because then I'll know a place I never have to go. <laughs> well, and by the way, of course, Boston Beer is going to be far from the first people who have opened up a seltzeria or, you know, a seltzer tap room. Uh, there there have been a couple around the country. And in fact, the brewery that Radiant took over, Town Park, was transitioning to being an all-seltzer tap room when they closed down. Uh, but I do think it's funny because I guess apparently Southern California, which includes Los Angeles and you know San Diego and all that area, sell, uh, buys something like five percent of the country's hard seltzer output. You know, so apparently we're a huge seltzer market. Go figure. Uh, and at first, when I read the story, I got really concerned. I was like, "Oh, wait, Boston Beer already has a facility in downtown LA. Are they going to get rid of Angel City?" And no, they're they're not getting rid of Angel City, which is owned by Boston Beer Company through their uh, was it Arts and Sciences division. Uh, they're actually putting arts the, and sciences. Yeah, they, they have wow. a, they have a they have a separate company, and I think it's arts and sciences that was originally founded with them and the guy behind Magic Hat. And it, the whole idea was that's it was going to be their starter brand kit. So they bought Angel City, they bought Coney Island Loggers, they bought you know a bunch of little brands, and so Angel City is in downtown LA in the arts district, and. First, I was worried that they were going to close down Angel City, but no, they're installing the Truly Tap Room next door to Angel City, so you can go have a seltzer and then go have a beer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I know it's very very silly, and to go from the new side of craft brewing, craft drinking, whatever, to the older side. We have to say a fond farewell to Schmaltz Brewing. Uh, yep. Yeah. They, so, they've been around for what, like 25 years? This is actually their 25th anniversary. And so they're going, uh, Jeremy Cohen, who is the, the brand, uh, who is the founder of the brand, uh, has announced that they're sh- shutting down Schmaltz Beer, which is probably most famous for Hebrew, the chosen brew, um, to focus on his new venture, which is, uh, Alphabet City Brewing Company. And he, uh, you know, it's just, He's been around for 25 years. He's doing one last big, I think, what the barley wine is, the Genesis barley wine with 25 different sets of ingredients, all that sort of stuff. And it's just kind of funny to see that like this guy started with sort of contract brewing and selling beer out of the trunk of his car around San Francisco, grew the brand contract brewed-wise, went around the country, opened up a brewery, decided to sell off that brewery because he wanted to focus on what he really loves and passionate about, which is brand stuff. And now he has a new beer company that he's doing. He's focusing on the consultancy side. He's focusing on his new venture. 
But I did see there was a very interesting quote that he gave when talking about like this whole farewell and, and the original founding. He said, I thought I was starting a Jewish nonprofit. I thought I was starting an organization that would do arts and crafts and culture and food and literature and music all through the lens of beer. I had a zillion events with Jewish newspapers, Jewish magazines, and Jewish community organizations, and on-campus organizations, and holidays and festivals. But that actually didn't end up being what the business was. <laughs> <laughs> well, duh. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know about... Well, I shouldn't say I don't know. It seems that very few businesses actually end up being what the people who start them envision them to be. Right. And so, and of course, over the years, he he really fell into the um, the sort of the zanier side of craft beer, shall we say, um, doing a lot of, uh, again, like with the Genesis Barley Wine, doing a lot of like, oh, different ingredients that were like, yeah, they have some sort of Jewish connection to it. You know, so this has pomegranates and, and date syrup and all that sort of fun stuff. And, you know, hey, the, the guy played his, played his shtick. He, he actually wrote a book. So the book is out there too. And he still actually, that company made what I think is still one of the more interesting double IPAs I've ever had, which was their tribute to Lenny Bruce. It was a bittersweet Lenny's rye double IPA. Yep. You know, man, when I first saw Lenny's Rye IPA, it's like, whoa, has this dude been watching me? (laughs) Because I have, it came out after I'd been making mine for quite a while. But yeah, so go and uh, go and pay attention. If you go look at Schmaltz Brewing Company, he's doing a whole tour around the country as sort of a farewell, you know, farewell to everybody uh, before he goes off and uh, focuses on his other beer adventures. But again, for something that had, I mean, really, a, a, a gimmicky kind of concept. Uh, he he kept that that thing going for quite a while, and actually, I think leaves an interesting legacy. Yeah, I agree, man, uh, and I wish him well in his new ventures. All right, and then we talked beer. Gotta warn you guys, this one's coming, and God help us all. <laughs> If you thought seltzer was bad. <laughs> so the former CEO of uh, Duval Morgat and also of Paps Brewing, a guy named uh, Simon Thorpe, is now behind a company called Sun Ice that is out there to produce and deliver to your hands pouched, packaged alcohol beverages that remind you of Capri Sun or the high C, high C boxes that you drank when you were a kid? Basically Kool-Aid with alcohol. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> yeah, I just can't. I mean, give me a break, people. <laughs> well, but I mean, look, we, we know that the RTD category, the rated drink category is hot. I do think the, the pouch concept is interesting, but that tells me more than likely it's going to be still because most of the pouches I've seen for carbonated beverages still don't quite work. Um, so pouches, cool alcoholic Capri Suns. Why? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's the why is, is the word, you know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be people who appreciate them. I don't think I need alcohol that bad. I don't know. Sometimes at my job I do. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see that. All right, and then the last one, and actually this is more of a question for you, Danny, because this is 
something I've been noticing, and also a question for the audience. Is it just me, or has there been, like, a real increase in Oktoberfest beers? Boy, it sure seems like it, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, like, Oktoberfest beers, Oktoberfest events, like, in the last five years or so, I mean, you 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 used to be able to find an Oktoberfest, you used to be able to find Marts, and people would make them, but suddenly, in the past couple years, it's just become, like, big. And And I don't mean, like, big, like, hey, you know, nobody's selling IPA type big. Like suddenly, I see so much more attention paid to Meritzen and Oktoberfest. Uh, today on Facebook, I saw somebody share a meme where somebody had a translate uh, webpage open and they had typed in Meritzen, and the translation given was a beer that we refuse to make year round because we don't want you to be happy. <laughs> I'm wondering if there are actually more being made, or if people are just taking notice of them more, so we're seeing them more. Yeah, well, exactly, because I'm I'm just seeing more attention. I'm seeing more promotion. I'm seeing more, like, you know, people talking about, hey, we have an actual Oktoberfest thing, and it's not just another beer festival. It's like, hey, you know, they actually went and made an O-Fest, and they did some stuff. It's just very curious to me to see if, if if I'm not crazy, if I am actually seeing this. So I would love to hear from people if you're seeing it as well. And then that kind of makes me wonder, so what does that mean in the long term? Probably nothing, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it would. Uh, You know, I I guess we'll just have to see what happens in the the future, huh? Yep. And as always, you can send us your feedback on that to podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Are you seeing more Meritzen? Are you seeing more Festbeer? By the way, that's something else I'm also seeing is more people recognizing the difference between Meritzen and Festbeer. Let us know. I'm curious. Is this like a weird stealth multi-trend happening in the U.S.? Well, you know what? I would not be all surprised if that was part of it. Although I think that probably a lot more of it is just a publicity thing. More and more people become aware of Oktoberfest and breweries. I mean, they're they're a business, right? They're there to make money. So if people want to drink Oktoberfest, that's what they'll brew. Just like with seltzer. <laughs> and fruit pouches. That's right, yeah. You know, and and hazy lactose ridden dessert beers and stuff like that. I mean, you know, despite what we may think of them, it doesn't really matter because there's a lot of people who like them and if people like them, breweries will brew them because they're there to make money. Yes. Exactly. It's always it's the beer business. Not beer friendship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And people people tend to get it like this romantic notion of beer, and uh, they they have to realize that, uh, especially for the bigger brewers, uh, it's it's about the money. Yep. But in the meanwhile, go enjoy your beer and remember to be kind to each other. That's right. And have an O fest and forget the crap in a pouch. <laughs> all right. <laughs> okay. So much for all that. We're gonna head over to the brewery. Talk about what. I've been brewing because I guess Drew probably hasn't much because he's been working all the time. So stick around. When we come back, we'll be over in the brewery. Does your fermenter need to have Wi-Fi? Not necessarily, but is a Wi-Fi-enabled fermenter incredibly useful? You bet. Using the Grainfather app, brewers can monitor and adjust fermentation from anywhere in the world, a feature that could come in handy if you want to start a diacetyl rest while sipping an umbrella drink on the beach. 
The new and improved Grainfather Conical Fermenter Pro is constructed from 304 stainless steel and has a total work capacity of 8 gallons, making it just the right size for your 5-gallon batches with plenty of headspace. A 1.5-inch tri-clamp on the lid allows up to 2 psi of top pressure for work transfers, and the 2-inch tri-clamp port on the bottom of the cone makes true dumps a snap. Particularly nifty is the dual function valve that lets you transfer and sample beer or pull yeast using the same valve. The integrated 12-volt, 30-watt heating element makes it easy to gently warm your fermenter, while a built-in cooling sleeve only needs to be connected to an optional chiller to get the temperature down. The new and improved Grainfather Conical Fermenter Pro is available now at grainfather.com or at a homebrew shop near you. Mechagrade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve Mechagrade. For more information, please visit mechagrade.com. Welcome back. Can you hear that? A little tink, tink, tink. You know what that is. That's the sound of a fermenter fermenting. That's right. We're in the brewery. It's time for us to get all about the beer, the beer that we're making. And we'll start with, uh, well, something that's not really, you know, something that we're making, but something that you can go and watch. So as we're recording this, it's in the future. As you're hearing this, it's in the past. But uh, Lars Garshall, you know, our good buddy who's talking all about those farmhouse ales up there in Norway and other parts of the, Scandinavia and the Baltics. Uh, they are doing a streaming this weekend as I'm speaking of the world's only festival dedicated to real traditional farmhouse ale, uh, up there in Hornendal. And so there are two links. It's all on Crowdcast and we'll include the links in the notes, but you should be able to go back and stream. You know, as you're hearing this, you should be able to go and stream, watch people talking about making traditional Norwegian farmhouse ales, talking about Quike, all that sort of good stuff. One bit of warning is that we do know that even though it hasn't broadcast yet, the content will be in a mixture of Norwegian and in English. So you may spend about half the time confused, but otherwise... Enjoy the picture and learn something new about something very old. You know, I spend over half the time confused already, so I don't see any difference. You just spend three quarters of the time confused. It's natural practice. (laughs) Yeah, right. All right. So, Denny, you've got a new toy. Yeah, I uh, I was fortunate enough to get one of the uh, first Grandfather G40 units to hit the shores here. This is kind of uh, like the the upgrade. The uh, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's it, it, it 
it's it's a redesign. Yeah, it's a redesign of of the good old G30. It has a larger capacity, first of all, and the design is built on the G70, which I just absolutely adore. Uh, the design is so great that I was brewing more beer than I needed to on the G70, just because it was such a joy to brew on. So now I have the G40, and I can uh, brew more normal size batches, more like what I need, uh, and uh, and do it easily with all the great features. Just remind the G40 is forty liters. Is that the yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, it's it's so like ten gallons. Yeah, but but again, it depends on the gravity of the beer and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, like the G70, it has like one large filter that covers the entire bottom of the unit and a center drain. Uh, a huge improvement over the G30, which had that little tiny filter on the side that always gets clogged, uh, you know. Um, unlike the G30 and even the G70, it doesn't use a top plate over the grain. You just lay your recirculation hose right on top of the grain. Uh, makes things much easier. Uh, the controller is really intelligent, warns you if anything is going wrong. Color screen, uh, which is, you know, fun, but you, you can't watch TV on it or anything like that. Well, but when, when you brewed on it, you, you actually literally had the thing giving you warning messages, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, because I, I made a beer that had uh, a fair amount of uh, flaked corn in it, uh, I ended up with a, a stuck uh, recirculation during the mash a couple times, and the thing pops up warnings and says, oh, your recirculation is stuck. I guess you better stir and try it again. Sure enough, it did that. I mean, you know, I, I just, I really, really like the unit a lot. Uh, it's a real joy to brew on. It is probably even more of a joy when it comes to cleanup time because it's so fast and easy. Uh, it, it, it's a great unit. Uh, I think that they're going to be more widely available soon. I know that Grainfather is trying to get uh, as many of them in the country as possible. A uh, warning, if you're thinking about getting one, it is a 220-volt unit, uh, so you'll need to deal with that. But that's a great thing. The The boil on it is more vigorous than I've seen on uh, uh, maybe even more than my G70, but uh, definitely more so than the G30. It it got a really, really good rolling boil on it. Uh, so any- Yeah, I couldn't imagine trying to... I can imagine trying to do 10 gallons on a 120 system. That seems no. untenable. No, I mean, I did, I did six gallons yesterday and, you know, it, it worked out great. Um, and the six gallons that I did was kind of my version of a very, very old beer, uh, Ballantine IPA. Ballantine is maybe the, Oldest IPA, maybe the original American IPA, uh, according to what many people say. They've been, it was the longest lasting American. Yeah, they've been around since 1880. Uh, the, uh, IPA has gone through many iterations. It's been in and out of production. Our Ballantine itself has been in and out of business several times. It's been in and out of reality. <laughs> yeah, right. One of the one of the more recent brewers at Ballantine, Fred Schreer, said uh, that he estimates that there have been over a hundred different recipes for the Ballantine IPA. 
So uh, given that, there would be no way you could really exactly duplicate it. The reason I was interested, I got uh, asked to be on a podcast called Pop Culture Brews, and I'll let you know when that's coming up. But basically what these guys do is that they pick a piece of pop culture brew a beer that relates to it, and then uh, get on the line with somebody and talk about the beer and the pop culture behind it. So uh, you guys, I'm sure, know of my penchant for uh, old movies from the 30s and 40s. So I suggested we uh, base the beers on Preston Sturgis movies. Uh, if you don't know who he is, you need to go watch some of his stuff. S-T-U-R-G-E-S. Probably some of the best comedies that have ever been made in America. I uh, I picked one of my fa- and and a direct and a direct influence on Over the Rar. Oh yeah, oh definitely. Uh, <laughs> in in one of the movies, uh, Sullivan's Travels, the uh, the uh, main guy in the movie is trying to make a movie called Oh Brother Where Art Thou. So. At any rate, uh, I picked for my movie The Lady Eve, uh, which stars Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda as the heir to the Pike's Ale fortune. Uh, Pike's Pale, the ale that won for Yale. Uh, and I decided, you know, based on when this movie was made, there's a good chance that Pike's Pale was like a, a takeoff on some of the Ballantine beers. So, uh, so I did that. Uh, one of the guys who runs the podcast, uh, chose The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, which is a, a real groundbreaking movie for its time because uh, it involves uh, a young girl who goes out to a dance with a soldier about to go away to war and comes home pregnant and she doesn't know his name or anything about him. And you know, for the for the 40s, that was pretty darn radical to do that. It is a hysterical movie, and she claims that she wasn't drinking alcohol; she was only drinking lemonade. So, uh, so one of the guys from the podcast is brewing a beer based on that. So we'll exchange beers and talk about them. For my homage to Ballantine IPA, I kind of loosely followed what the grist would be. Uh, you know. Uh, there, there's a lot of debate about whether they use six-row malt, pale malt, imported malt, and it could have been any of those. So since I had some Golden Promise around that uh, was the end of my wee shroomy bag, I decided that I would use that. Uh, uh, Crystal 70 went into it because uh, apparently uh, every recipe that I was able to find had some darker crystal in it. Uh, a couple pounds of flaked maize, and most recipes had sugar. I had a, a pouch of uh, D45 candy syrup sitting around, so I dumped that in. Hops were mainly the American classics like Cluster and Bullion and stuff like that. Uh, I did source some Cluster to put in it. Uh, another one that I used that I hadn't really ever seen before was called Bitter Gold, and its lineage includes Cluster, Bullion, uh, Brewer's Gold, Nugget, and a, a couple of the, of the the classic hops that would have been around back then. So I said, hey, what the heck, close enough. Um, 
It's in the fermenter now, bubbling away happily with two packs of BRY97, which is a good guess for the uh, the yeast that may have been used in the original Ballantine. And, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to clone a beer. I don't really believe that that's possible anyway. Uh, but I was trying to make something in the style w- with a nod to uh, the original Ballantine IPA ingredient-wise. So, going to be darn interesting to see what happens with it. <laughs> it, well, <laughs> it. It turned out being a 1077 beer with 74 IBUs. So, you know, at least that. Yeah, but is it, that part of it is right up my alley. Yeah, but is it even authentic if you're not aging it in big oak barrels for a year? Yes, it is. Come on. And besides, <laughs> yeah, I just said I'm not trying to be authentic. No, well, and to your point, as you said earlier, like hundreds of recipes and different techniques because. Uh, the reason why I'm making that joke is originally Valentine's Ale was oak aged for, you know, a year yeah. and massively dry hopped and all that sort of stuff. And then as time went on and people were trying to save money and new owners bought the brewery, that year came, became a couple months to came like a month. It became no months on oak. So, yeah, there, there's never any hope that any anybody could actually brew anything that would be considered authentic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'll be dry hopping with good old cluster fugget. There you go. Yeah. That's pretty. I I still like that blend. I do too, and I you know I was afraid that maybe they were only going to make it uh, for that conference where they were handing it out, but it is still available. Good. Yeah, and again, if you guys go back and listen into the shows, you'll hear Denny and I talk about cluster fugget. It's a blend of cluster nugget. And, of course, Denny's favorite hop. Well, you know, I don't like Fuggles, but they work well in this blend. Well, also, American Fuggles, I believe, are Styrian Goldings. Styrian Golding. Yeah, yeah they're, yeah, they're Goldings, not not actual Fuggles. Right. <laughs> but, you know. So how, how long do you think to get to the to the beer in the keg? You know, I, I really don't know. Uh, I think it will probably be fermented out pretty well in five days or so, judging by the way that it was going this morning. And uh, with all the corn and sugar in it, uh, it should uh, it should rip through pretty quick. So, you know, I'm guessing maybe in the keg uh, in a week and a half to two weeks. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. The beer makes the schedule, not the calendar. True. And, again, one of our advantages as homebrewers, as opposed to commercial brewers, is you're not having somebody waiting on you to sell it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there there are many advantages to being a homebrewer and not a commercial brewer, and that's one of it. So, uh, by the way, just to close out the G40 conversation, because this was the beer that you brewed for the first time on the G40, right. um, it's, uh, I believe, available or just about to become available in the U.S., $1,500 for the for the unit. And remember, that's basically the whole self-contained gizmo with the smart controller and the beautiful screen and the pump and this, that, and the other, and the uh, counterflow chiller, yada, yada, yada. Um, be able to brew 10 gallons at a time requires uh, 220 volt power. And what I also think is interesting is if you go and you look at the grandfather website now, the G40 is up there so you can see some pictures of it and understand what, what's available. But also very importantly, you know, I think one of the big knocks that a lot of people have had towards grandfather over the years is the equipment's really cool and really great and snazzy, but it's also dear. And I think the grandfather folks seems to have, uh, taken some of that to heart because they're also introducing a brand new system called the S40, which is essentially the G40, 
minus all the smarts. Yeah. It's still the same great design, but not the uh, not the Wi-Fi connectivity. It's a a manual unit, and it's it's a lot cheaper, right? It's like about a third the price. Yeah, yeah it's five hundred dollars as opposed to fifteen hundred. Yeah, and it reminds me very much like looking at the control panels and whatnot. It it feels very much like a better built version of the Brusilla or the Mash and Boil, where it has just a very simple screen where you can manually control things with a couple switches. Um, so if you're not if you're not in the hunt for all the various gigas and the nice connectivity and all that, then you might want to take a look at the grandfather S 40, uh, because for that $500, you still actually get the whole malt pipe and the filtration and all that sort of fun stuff and a pump. Right. Plus, uh, plus you get the, the, the manual controls and access to all the grandfather goodies down the line, but it's a much easier way for you to get into the grandfather ecosystem so if you if you got the money and you want the toys and you and you want the ease of brew, get the G forty. If you if you want to get into the grandfather ecosystem and you don't really care about all the rest of the gigas, the S forty will be available for you too. You know, the S40 will still have that same great design. Uh, you just have to do everything yourself. And, you know, we're homebrewers. We're used to doing that anyway, right? Exactly. And grain, Grainfather, I don't intend necessarily for this to be a Grainfather commercial because we got those also. But they, they do have a bunch of cool new stuff that they have just brought out. So if you're interested, go to their website. One of them is a 70-liter conical fermenter. That's true, which is massive. Yeah. So, all right. Last thing to talk about, because I know you talked about the Valentine's IPA. Whatever happened with your survivables IPA? Uh, one keg is gone, and the other one is about half gone. Uh, I started I started on the keg that I dry hopped with the cryopop, and uh, mm-hmm. the one that I'm working on right now is the keg that was dry hopped with the uh, cryo centennial and cryo cascade. Uh, man, it gives it that really nice old school IPA flavor. Uh, and I'm, I'm real pleased with both of them. Uh, I really think that they have a very nice hop flavor that came from layering the hops based on uh, the various oils they each have in the survivables booklet. Uh, again, if you look at that, you'll say, you know, oh yeah, this will go with this. This one would be better off used a different way. I'm real happy with it, and I intend to uh, do more experimenting with that theory. And for everybody else, we'll make sure to include a link to the recipe in the show notes so that you can brew it too. It's time now that we go do some talking. We're going to head over to the lounge and uh, speak with our friend Brian Pierce from Yakima Chief Hops about uh, the crop forecast for this year. So stick around. We're going to be right back after this. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the work to cool enough to add Whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your word in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. 
Ultimate Chief Hops is a proud supporter of the global homebrewing community. We believe that homebrewers are at the true heart of craft beer. YCH is dedicated to supplying the brewing hobbyists, the homebrew side hustlers, and the late-night garage brewers with the same cutting-edge quality hop products as the brewers working on a 90-barrel tank. Yakima Chief is pleased to introduce the latest product in hop innovation right out of the R&D lab, Cryopop Original Blend. Combining their proprietary cryogenic hop processing technology with groundbreaking lab analysis, they've engineered a hop pellet packed with the most beer-soluble compounds to bring a true pop of tropical, stone fruit, and citrus aromas. Learn more at yakimachief.com. It's just about time, it's just about time, don't you think it's about time, we talked about beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings, beer, 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 beer. In a normal year... I'd be up in Yakima right about now, uh, or a little while ago, taking part in hop harvest, going to hop and brew school, and eating amazing tacos. But this isn't a normal year, so we kind of had to do things another way. One of the main guys at uh, Yakima Chief is Brian Pierce. Uh, he's kind of in charge of sales there, and he knows a lot about hops. So we wanted to get together with Brian and talk about uh, the hop crop this year, how it's going, what's new, what's hot. And really what you should know about that agricultural crop that, well, due to biology, due to weather changes, due to everything else, changes from year to year. So what can we expect this year? That's what we're digging into. Yep, exactly. So uh, sit back, relax, grab yourself a beer unless you're driving, and uh, listen to this conversation that we had with Brian about the hops for the year. Yeah, well, yeah, and I've, I've brewed my first couple batches according to the principles in your Survival Bowls booklet, and man, oh, nice. getting great results, yeah. Oh, yeah, cool, really I'm excited it. to hear that. Exactly. Uh, we, had, we had one brewer, he said, man, I got this survival book, and I just feel like I got hand, handed the answer book to the test. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it just is all in here, it's clearly, it's clear what I just have to do as a brewer. <laughs> I yeah, like, well, oh, I mean, cool. I... And that's that's the thing. It it really clearly establishes a principle to to go by when you when you're putting together a hop schedule. And you know, I I did uh, I, I split a batch, did basically the same boil hops all the way through, and then uh, dry hopped one with uh, cryo pop and the other one with Cascade and Centennial cryo. Wow, both of them are just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I said That's to my awesome. wife, the Cascade and Centennial batch tastes like bearded 20 years ago. <laughs> and I meant that in a good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> nice. Hey, everybody. We are sitting here in the lounge, and our guest today is Mr. Brian Pierce from Yakima Chief Hops. Uh, how you doing today, Brian? Great, great. Doing really well. It's a, a great honor to be back on here. It's been a little bit for me. 
Yeah, man, it, it has been a bit, and uh, we've missed going up there for a couple years. Uh, the only thing better than just talking to you like this is being up there for Hop and Brew School and going to get some of those amazing tacos. <laughs> I was just going to say, I, if, if it feels weird this year not having some tacos with you. It's some some off off the road taco stand down in the lower valley. Yeah, I, I know, man. I, I still have dreams about those chicharron tacos, and I'm fairly <laughs> certain I still have uh, research field dirt in my shoes. <laughs> probably, probably. So, Brian, uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about what you do at Yakima Chief? Yeah, so I'm our uh, chief sales and marketing officer. Uh, so I work. I'm based here in Yakima uh, most of the time. Um, in a normal year, I'd be traveling a little more than I have been, obviously, the last couple of years. Um, but based here in Yakima, I've been working at Yakima Chief Hops now for a little over five and a half years. Um, and yeah, my, I spend a lot of my day uh, thinking about craft beer and about uh, hops and work with our teams. Very fortunate to work with our teams in Europe and in Asia, as well as our sales team here in North America and our, our marketing team here as well, based out of the Yakima. So um, keeps a lot of fun, keeps me busy all the time. <laughs> and didn't I see you guys had just done an event in Japan or something like that? Uh, yeah, well, we, we've had a, a couple of webinars this year. Um, yeah, last night. Uh, I was that's on what one. I'm thinking of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've done a couple in different different areas of China um, where they've been able to have some gatherings and then a lot of people kind of virtually attending through WeChat and things like that, too. And it's been awesome to see our, our team in Asia pulling those together on very short notice and um, getting really high attendance, um, really cool interactions, good questions. And uh, I'm really excited about it because for us, you know, in this in this time where we have people traveling some some places and some places not. Um, it's been fun to try to connect with people around the globe and still still bring harvest uh, to other places of the world that maybe they couldn't be here this year. So, and was it last year you sent the uh, the wet hops to Korea or something for their wet hop brew? Yeah, we've done a couple different countries now every year, um, and this year actually it's uh, it's going to be big news, and I'm sure we'll, we can talk about that again in the future. But we have our our frozen fresh hops this year, um, and that's been yeah. kind of a a big thing for us to open up getting. Fresh hops really to anywhere in the world now, which is uh, which is really new for us. We're learning a lot with it, um, but really excited about it. We're starting to get people making fresh hop beers all around the world, which is you know for me being here in the Pacific Northwest is really exciting. So yeah, man, that's that's a, a concept you would not have even thought about a few years ago, huh? Yeah, no, yeah, it was sort of like it's just uh, they they were uh, too time sensitive, you know, to make it too far, right? Um, or the costs were so high and trying to get it there. You know, it's just not really the probably the responsible thing to do. So, uh, but now, now you know, now we can we can do it, and uh, they're they're super fresh, and I'm I'm really excited. I'm I'm hopeful to uh, be drinking fresh up beers someday over in Europe or in South America or somewhere in Asia, um, and really have everyone be able to experience those you know unique hop flavors and aromas that you know I know you're familiar with. You know, yeah. being here in the Pacific Northwest, so right, um, it's kind of that unique moment in time every year, and uh, want want everyone to experience that. So uh, let's let's go back to the beginning, man. In order to do all that, the uh, the hops have to be grown and processed. Uh, so that gets us to this year's hop crop. Uh, I didn't know about up there, man, but it was really weird down here. It was like super hot and super dry. Um, so did that affect you guys at all? Yeah, it's been a really strange year. Um, 
so far things have been looking really good, you know, so we're actually, we're in week five or, or somewhat six for harvest, you know, obviously you're down in Oregon. Oregon's usually about a week earlier uh, than Washington and Idaho, uh, just from a timing perspective. Um, and so, so far things have been looking really good. I mean, quality's high, um, a lot of varieties have come in right where we expected them to, um, but to kind of to, to hit your question on the head, um, yeah, earlier this year in June, um, if, if everyone wasn't aware, um, we had some really record high heat here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I know in Yakima, I think we had one or two days, it got up to almost 120 degrees or uh, oh Fahrenheit. Oh, my God. Yeah, oh, you know, it's, it's always warm here. It's not unusual to be up, you know, above 100 or up to 110 for a week or two, but that was abnormally high. Um, and then I know down in Oregon, you guys had some real high heat. Um yeah. Idaho had some abnormally high heat where they were in the low hundreds, which is a little higher than they normally see, um, and it was extended over like two weeks. So each each wow. of the major growing regions had high heat, but in really different ways. It was a little more acute here in Yakima and Oregon. It was a little longer in, in uh, Idaho. Um, and we were pretty concerned because June is usually when a lot of flowering is, is going on, and then you, you start getting your, um, you know, your flowers start blooming, and then from there you're going to get into to really them turning into cones and cone setting. And so we were really worried about that damaging, you know, that part of the life cycle um, and, uh, you know, maybe affecting yields or quality or even stunting growth of plants. Um, and I know right after that heat wave, we saw some different fields, different varieties were affected different ways where you'd see, you know, in June, they're still climbing up to the top wire. So you would see some where they actually like wilted off at the top because the heat, they just weren't able to get enough, oh, enough water yeah. up high enough. And um, but fortunately, uh you know, hops are pretty hardy. They want to survive. And um, we saw a lot of those, you know, still complete their, their life cycle and weren't too affected. Some growers took some really kind of uh, cool actions where they would take the sidearms growing off and they were actually trying to retrain those so that they would still grow up to the top to try to maximize some of the yields and things like that. And uh, all of that was a, a big stress this year. But um, so far, it, it has affected harvest and some of the timing of things. You know, I think we've seen some pick windows adjust a little bit this year. Um, I think the harvest has been a little unique that way and kind of things seem a little out of order, but, uh, yields have been good farm to farm. It's been a little variable, maybe more than normal, but overall, you know, for us at YCH, um, and what we were planning to get to, to make sure we can supply on our contracts and for the beer industry, um, things are looking really good. They're coming in right where they need to be. And, and quality has been consistently, uh, really nice this year too, which was, you know, obviously the other concern. Yeah. And no so. smoke. And no smoke. We, we, uh, yeah, that was such a big feature of 2020 was, you know, we had this, um, <laughs> a feature, it's yeah, not a budget, it's a feature. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. There was other things going on in 2022, I think. So yeah, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a crazy year, but yeah, this, uh, the smoke was such a big part of 2020. Um, you know, really for, for us, it affected our mosaics quite a bit last year. Um, and you know, we, so we, fortunately we have a really robust sensory program and lab program here and the teams here are awesome. And so. They're really on it, identifying things, separating things. And, we, you know, we really went in quickly into how do we make sure farms are still healthy and, and okay from this, but how do we make sure that, you know, beer quality doesn't suffer, um, that no one's having to buy hops that they're, you know, they're not going to feel good about. So so we did everything we could last year. It was a ton, a ton of research. You know, our, our technical team here did a lot of research, and we, we learned a lot. You know, that was, I think, a big benefit of that was we, we all learned a lot about smoke and how it affects hops. Um, and, yeah, this year we were a little worried because we had some local fires, uh, actually up towards the Natchez area and up towards like Bumping Lake, which is one of the big, big reservoirs that, uh, feed water to the valley here in Yakima. 
Um, there was a massive fire going on, and, and uh, that two weeks ago, the smoke here was getting worse and worse every day. And it was hard because oh, I was no. looking at the timing from 2020, and I was like, oh, man, this is like the same week as last year. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it's right before Mosaic starts. And then, fortunately, we had a, a, a big rainstorm move in on that Friday. Uh, that would have been two weeks ago Friday. And uh, it really helped, helped you know, mitigate some of the fire going on up there, and it, it knocked a lot of the smoke down in the valley. And, um, and it, we got enough rain. A lot of farms actually shut off for about eight hours or shut off for like a shift. Um, because when it gets too wet, you can't really get out in fields well and hops get sure. real heavy and sure. stuff. So, um, and so that kind of, that little bit of a pause and the knockdown and smoke really helped us, uh, mitigate that. And so, um, we were fortunate. We were right into citrus mosaic harvest and, uh, did not see a lot of smoke effect at all this year. So that's, that was really oh, that's great. Man. So yeah. when it gets really hot and dry, are there any particular varieties that do better or worse under those conditions? You know, I, 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 I want to say yes, but I think it's a little anecdotal. Um, you know, we don't have necessarily a lot of research on that, like I would say right. scientific research. But I can say, you know, talking to a lot of our growers, you know, multi-generational growers here that, you know, our owners and other farms, um, we have a lot of staff members who, you know, they've been in hops for 30 plus years. Right. Um, and so they have a lot of great stories and memories of, of other times it's been hot. And I, I, I would say from that, and I trust that a lot, they've, you know, it seems to be that heat really um, actually – Ten, years that are, tend to get really hot, mosaics tend to do pretty well. Um, Centennial did awesome this year. You know, it's, and oh, it's that's little, great, man. Yeah, I know. Great I know for you're pretty, Centennial. Yeah, you'd be personally excited about that. Yeah, um, man, oh, Centennial has done so well this year. It's it's been cool. It's it, you know, it gets a little variable, but I was gonna say, which is different than Centennial's usual reputation. Yeah, yeah. Some years it's great. Some some years it's it's a challenge, mostly from a yield standpoint. But this year it, it yield was really really nice and. Uh, the aroma has just been awesome. I, I've smelled, I don't know, probably 30-plus different lots of, of Centennial from all over the Pacific Northwest this year, and, and every single one is just outstanding. Oh, so, that makes me very happy. Yeah. It makes a lot of people very happy. Centennials are one of those favorites from long ago that uh, people forget about until they use them again, and they go like, why the hell haven't I been using these? It is. It's, such a, it's, a, it's an awesome hop. There's a reason why it's such a big part of the history of craft. Yeah, that's that's right. So, uh, you know, there aren't any varieties that were really uh, adversely affected by all, all the the uh, weather we had. No, not not tremendously. Um, like I said, I, I think I think where we saw it the most actually is uh, is at a farm level. Um, you know, every farm has different breakouts of varieties. You know, some farms maybe only grow three or four varieties. Some farms are growing ten varieties, and then. You know, but depending on their acreage, uh, their capacity, and how much they can pick, and their kilns, um, their their timing can often change quite a bit from farm to farm, and uh, that's where I think we saw some farms, you know, had some real uh, yield issues this year, um, where things just came in pretty light for them. Um, but but other farms in the same varieties had you know crop you know just an abundance of of, of yield. So. It's uh, it's hard to say, uh, you know. Again, you know, or for us, fortunately, you know, we work with over 50 different farms in the Pacific Northwest. So, kind of when in the aggregate of things, you know, we, we always plan for a little bit of, of, of you know agronomic changes and Mother Nature, and and uh, so everything's been coming in where we expected it to come in. Um, so definitely not thinking it's it's definitely not a bumper crop year by any means, but it's uh, it's it's what we had hoped for. So that's that's good. You know, and. 
you mentioned 50 different farms, and I think that that's a point that a lot of people really don't realize, is that it's not like there's one big Yakima Chief plot of land where all these hops are grown. There's a, a whole bunch of separate farms and separate farmers, and generally families who've been in it a long time, who are growing and processing these batches of hops, which they bring into you. And a lot of those families are also owners of Yakima Chief. Yeah, that's that's right. And actually, that's that's a good uh, discussion point because I think, you know, we have 14 different family farms that, that own Yakima Chief hops. Um, they're our grower owners. Um, and I, I know I've run into, you know, in the past people, you know, or even just assume that all of those are the, well, that's the only farms we get our hops from. But their owners, they, they deliver a, a large quantity of hops to us. But, but we work with, you know, outside that 14, you know, uh, what is that 40 probably about 40 other growers um right. and that encompasses you know a good six or seven in idaho um probably about the same number maybe even a little more in oregon um and then a, a huge chunk of growers here in washington you know where it's kind of the bulk of the growing region about 75 percent of, of the growing region and uh yeah and it's it's so we're getting hops from all over the place you know and and some some of those farms are are new to the industry you know i think one of the younger farms in Idaho has been, this is their sixth season this year. Um, outstanding growers all the way to, you know, you think like the Carpenters or the Coleman's where they're on generation four and five, you know, um, right. or, or, or even six. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of neat to see that swath of, of all different experience levels and different entry points into the, into the growing industry. So are there any new varieties that went into the fields this year that we, uh, we should keep our eyes open for? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, as always with the HBC YCR breeding program, um, there's always, you know, are those numbered varieties that are kind of in the running. Um, there's a couple that have been doing really well the last couple of years um, and things I think, I don't know what their futures are necessarily, but I would encourage people to continue to, to play around with them because they, they seem to have a lot of traction with brewers is uh, HBC 630. Um, it's really, really nice variety. Uh, it has kind of this really strong cherry candy sort of aroma and flavor wow. to it. Um, yeah, and then you know some nice fruit notes and things like that too. But it, uh, it that very like uh, cherry sort of stone fruit type character is is pretty unique. Um, plays really well with other varieties and, and especially like you know West Coast IPAs and any IPAs and things like that. Um, that that one I've actually seen locally too here in the Pacific Northwest has kind of had a quite a, a following growing for it. Um, amongst brewers and uh, so that's kind of one to watch I think for sure um, it seems to be doing really well uh, another one I think is really high interest is uh, HPC 586 um, another really nice variety very tropical kind of has a, a slight coconut thing going on um, very very punchy hop um, I've actually had several different beers over this last month uh, people have been playing around with it and it's just it's a, uh, it's very distinct. Um, it's very nice, and it, it plays really, really well in in any IPA, uh, especially. I've I've just enjoyed every single beer I've had with it. Um, so another great hop to look for as well. Is the market still trending towards tropical flavors and aromas in hops, or is, has that been around long enough that people are looking for other things? And, and I ask that because, uh, like I was telling you earlier, I split a batch of IPA recently and dry hopped one half of it with the cryopop, which is very tropical, and the other half of it with Cascade and Centennial Cryo, which is not tropical. 
And it had been so long since I had used the Cascade and Centennial combo, I'd forgotten how different it was and how much I liked it. So are, are people starting to go, okay, we've done Tropical for a while, um, let's look for the next big thing? Or are they still putting a lot of, of effort and, and beer into going with the Tropical varieties? Yeah, I, I still, I mean, we definitely still see that trend towards tropical, very fruity, you know, juicy type flavors. Um, I think, you know, any IPAs continue to still be a big, big, strong part of every brewer's portfolio. Um, you know, I think it's interesting what you said about Centennial Cascade, too, because, um, you know, I think we saw last year and into this year a little bit of a resurgence on West Coast IPA. You know, and so I, I do think there's, you know, there's that that sort of like backbone still there. People maybe having the same experience as you of like, oh, yeah, I do really like this still. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know? Drew and I have really been pushing the return to West Coast IPA. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of our recent columns in Brew Your Own Magazine was about how to brew West Coast IPA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I I definitely think there's still that that out there for sure. I, I can't say I've seen any like new next flavor that's that's sort of taking the world by storm. I do think I do think some of the tropical components though have been starting to get refined into things that people are chasing a little bit. You know, I think um, I think we all know a lot of hops provide a lot of different types of citrus orange character, um, but there's also flavors that are harder to, to capture. Like, and, and I think one we hear a lot from brewers is is mango. Uh, mango is something people are really seeking quite a bit. Uh, it's hard it's hard to really get right. Um, and another one is berry, like berry flavors. They tend to be very elusive. You know, some varieties uh, tend to have a little bit of that. Um, like, you know, Mosaic is probably the best example where people often right. point to it and say, oh, it's got some of that blueberry character. Um, yeah, know, you know, it definitely does. You just have to take it out from around the PVC and diesel. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, 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 hard. <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to find the, like, perfect balance of just, you know, I just want blueberries. Because in my mind, for me, Mosaic is like, it's always got a little edge to it, right? It's mm-hmm. always got a little... I like some of that that sort of, you know, kind of, I, I would often characterize mosaic, a good mosaic a lot as having some dank character to it. Um, so th- those are flavors I think that are still, if, if you know, if, if you were to land on those really distinctly, I think you'd see those trend upwards quite a bit too, because uh, they tend to they tend to do really well in beer. So, so uh, you uh, always brew a uh, wet hot beer each year. Did you do that again this year? You know, I, I didn't get a chance to this oh, year. Oh, Brian! It's not, it's <laughs> so not too late, though. I know, I know. <laughs> That's it's, true. It's That's not true. Too late. Harvest is still happening. Yeah. Well, so I, I usually try to do one to enter in, into the competition here. I, I still plan on making one. I just won't be entering it this year. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely am going to. Um, I got some hops growing at home I might use. Um, and I'm actually really intrigued. You know, we're getting into the, the last kind of stretch here of Harvest. Um, and there's some varieties that people often don't think about using for aroma um, that are I, I kind of wanted to dabble in just making something a little strange this year. Um, so so that's probably that's probably going to be that's probably what's going to happen. Based on what you've told us, you make something strange every year. Uh, well, this is true. I, I, I do try to make some strange stuff every year. So. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm really hoping to probably do I, I would really like to do a fresh hop beer this year, uh, maybe with some pato. Um, you know, it's mostly grown for alpha, but it has some really nice aroma notes. So I'm, I'm going to be keeping my eye out for some really nice lots of, of pato or, or what I think are going to be nice lots of pato and try to sneak in and grab some cones. Um, and that, then, well, that, that's oh, one that ahead, I sorry. have not used. That's one that I have not used at all, man. 
Oh, it's really nice. I've had there's a couple, a couple uh, farms here that that like to do, uh, some of the growers like to make some fresh hop beers too, and that that's what I've I've had some really good fresh hop beers with it. So I think it's uh I think it's there's definitely something there. The other one I'm really interested with is not necessarily Alpha, but it is aroma variety that's late pick is Idaho Seven. Um, oh yeah, I love and, that. Yeah, and we're just starting to get into that now. Equinaut we're getting into right now, and so those are those are hops that are awesome that you don't tend to see in fresh hop beers because people usually want them ready for festivals. And since they're, they're picked so late, they tend not to show up at those festivals uh, because the festivals are usually happening during harvest or right at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll probably be doing that this year. So it's, that's why I haven't done one. There we go. So one, one thing that I've learned in my years up there is that there's a, a sequence to when you harvest and not all hops come in at the same time. Um, what's in, in general, kind of like what order do they get harvested in? Yeah, we often refer to hops as like early pick, middle pick, or late pick, um, and those are obviously pretty loose windows. They over some of them overlap with each other quite a bit. Uh, but early pick for us is usually you know Oregon because it starts a little earlier, you know, kind of middle of August. Uh, early pick is really middle of August up to Washington. Early pick being kind of that end of August, beginning of September. Um, and most of those varieties, most farms will, if they have those varieties, will start on Centennial, Cascade, or Simcoe. Those are early pick varieties. Um, they're early, or they're they're ready early to be picked. Um, Cascade is one hop that does tend to be able to hang around a little longer if you needed it to. Uh, but traditionally, it's not you know it's not what you're doing with it. Um, so those are early pick window varieties. So they're 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 uh, brought in pretty early. Um, and as a side note, that's I usually make a Simcoe fresh hop because it's early. So that's that's right. kind of one of the things I like to do. Cool. Um, it also has an awesome sort of watermelon jelly rancher flavor that you see in fresh hops that you don't always get. Whoa, uh, really? So yeah, that's why it's by far one of my favorites when it comes to fresh hop. It's got wow. such a, a flavor you just you don't see in it normally. Um, it's very unique to it. See now, uh, this just makes me think that somebody out there is going to do a fresh hop seltzer. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I, we'll, we'll be, we would, hop industry would be really happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you would. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great. I, I'm a big promoter of uh, hops and seltzers. That's how it should be. Um, yeah, but yeah, well, some other early varieties that are kind of newer, though, to the scene are uh, Sabro. You know, Sabro's an early variety. Uh, what's really unique about it, besides its crazy wild coconut pineapple flavors, is uh, it's super resinous, really high in oil. Um, it kind of bucks the trends a little bit on, you know, historically high oil, high alpha, stuff like that is, is stuff you leave to hang late. Uh, but Sabra does all that in the early pick window. So it's kind of a neat, huh. kind of a neat thing to have such an awesome aroma flavor variety that also has a lot of alpha and oils uh, be able to be picked early because those middle and later pick windows tend to be really crowded with popular hops, uh, whether it's for aroma or flavor or for alpha even. Um and so, and then Idaho Gems, another kind of new one on the scene uh, from Diane Gooding, Michelle Gooding over at Gooding Farms, and they, uh, it's a really cool variety. I've only had a couple of beers with it now, but it's uh, it's getting a lot of interest. It smells awesome on the table when you're rubbing it, um, and that's also kind of a little earlier in the season. Sounds then, like uh, we got a lot to look forward to. Yeah, so that's all early, and then we're we're really right now we're at the very end of the middle pick window, and the middle pick window is is pretty infamous for it's it's that citra mosaic pick window and so it's really crowded because it's such those are such popular hops um so every farms in those now we're just wrapping those up as we hit the end of it here um and so that's kind of the the middle pick window there there's a couple others that fall into that you know chinook uh, is somewhat in the middle pick window but it, it has a pretty wide window um amarillo's in there azaka is in there 
Um, cashmere is in there. And then our, our late pick window stuff is kind of end of season stuff, which we're getting into now, and that's Equinot, Idaho 7, uh, Comet is kind of a later pick window, CTZ or, you know, Columbus, Tomahawk, Zeus, uh, Pato, Palisade, I'm trying to think here, El Dorado. Those, those kind of all fall later in the season. You know, some of those are aroma hops, some of those are grown for, for alpha. So I think that I heard a few years ago that uh, Citra had overtaken Cascade as the, the most popular hop, the biggest seller. Is that correct, and is that still the case? Yeah, no, it's still the case. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of been the trend. I know the Hop Growers of America and the USDA, they, they track uh, acreage every year. They, they always track acreage strung. So how much was in the ground ready for harvest and then how much actually was brought in for harvest. And I think it was back in 2018 was the first year Cascade was no longer the number one uh, hop by acreage anymore. Um, and Citra replaced it that year. Um, and so, yeah, it was Citra kind of came up every year more and more. And then since 2018, all the way till today, Citra is the most, uh, most strung, most harvested hop by acre. Um, so this will be year four for it being in the number one spot. And I think Cascade now is sitting at like spot number five. Uh, yeah. It's it wow. ahead of it is Citra and CTZ, I think Mosaic, Simcoe, and then I'm pretty sure Cascade and Centennial are right after that. Well, and that Cascade and Centennial used to be the one and two, and now they're now they're five and six. Uh, given the number so. of hops that or number of IPAs I see out there that are some variety of Citra, Simcoe, and Mosaic, and you know, toss some Galaxy in there as well, I'm not surprised. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the thing with that is it's really, it's the hop industry following brewer's trends, which are following consumer trends, right? And uh, sure. those are the flavors, those are the flavors that people come back, they buy those beers, so brewers brewers contract and buy those hops, and so that's, we're trying to always try to keep up with, you know, what brewers are asking us for. And so, yeah, we've seen we've seen Cascade, Centennial, and even Chinook kind of all on the decline in the last five years. Um and I, I actually think there's, they're kind of reaching a critical point, though, where there's, there is a baseline need for those hops. They are important to the industry. And, uh, you know, I think the acreage is lower than it's ever been. And I, I think we'll, we'll definitely see some breweries being surprised that suddenly those are less, less available or they're harder to find than they have been in the past. Ooh, that's, that's distressing. Yeah, it's, I wouldn't, it's nothing to worry about too much. I mean, there's still plenty and the quality is good. Um, but I think it's one of those things that it's, uh, you know, it, you know, it's it's something brewers really need to be thinking about when it comes to contracting hops. You know, we've we've gone through a lot of years where there's been a lot of cascades just available on spot, and I think I think a lot of breweries have, have kind of taken that for granted, or or they just it's like, oh yeah, those are available. Um, but without those contracts kind of indicating back to to us and to other suppliers too, um, you know, where growers are looking to switch acreage into needing to plant more citra or something like that. Um, so you've seen some of those acres disappear. Um, and that's where I think without those those contracts or indications to the industry that, yes, I am going to need those next year, um, those, that's, those are the acres that end up uh, being replaced or turned over. So um, there's no gloom and doom in that at all, though. I, I mean, they're, they're not going to disappear completely or anything like that. But I think they'll just be harder to get your hands on than they maybe have been in the past if you're a commercial scale brewer. Buy okay, brewers. Take, take note of that, really, man. If, if you're a brewery that uses Cascade or Centennial, make sure to get your orders in so they'll be there when you need them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So is there anything else we need to know about uh, this year's harvest, Brian? You know, um, I don't think so much. You know, some other, I guess just some other, you know, I think good things to know about harvest this year is, uh, you know, you mentioned a little dry, you know, dry conditions in, in Oregon. Um, you know, I think we saw some of that here in the whole Pacific Northwest. 
Um, it didn't really affect hops too much uh, or at all because, you know, most hops here in, we're fortunate in the Pacific Northwest are on irrigation. Um, and, you know, fortunately up in the mountains and a lot of our reservoirs and, and things like that, uh, healthy enough to definitely get us through through the harvest season this year. Oh, that's good. So, yeah, so there was no issues there. I think the only place that that there was a high concern was in Idaho. They had a, a actually a pretty dry year there, even compared to Oregon. And uh, they actually had some water get shut off a little early on them. Uh, but mm-hmm. it was time timing wise, it it was kind of right in the middle of, of harvest, and uh, you're usually letting fields, you know, kind of start. They're usually doing that anyways. So it, right about the timing it got shut off was also the time they were they were getting ahead of that and you know stopping watering fields right before they were going to pick them anyway. So. Fortunately, the timing it was just just right that it didn't really affect the hop crop. Uh, may affect some other crops, but um, it wasn't wasn't a big deal for for uh, for them. So, so just kind of another feature of this year. But again, we I think we feel we feel pretty fortunate that it didn't really have a big effect on us. So, oh, that's that's really great, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but like, uh, yeah, I know some other, other. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I was gonna go ahead, Drew. Well, I was just gonna ask one last question. Uh, yeah. So. Given that you guys are now getting down towards the end of harvest, when should people start expecting to see 2021 show up available to them? Oh, well, so we, we actually we started producing two weeks ago. Um, so I know we already have made some Simcoe and Centennial pellets. Um, October, well, I'm running now. Uh, October is going to be a really big month for us. Um, I'm actually, something I'm really excited about, and I think I'm, I'm glad you asked that actually, is we... We've been working the last several years to really try to um, how do you know how do we ramp up how how soon stuff can be available how do we make sure we're really efficient in our production facilities and our teams have done an awesome job of of you know finding a lot of ways to be more efficient and uh, making some good investments in new equipment and things like that and so we're anticipating this year to have our our production season wrapped up in January um, and traditionally uh, you know for for the industry, a lot of times hops are usually run until uh, April, sometimes even May. Um, so we're, we're looking at, you know, last year we wrapped up right at the beginning of February. This year we're targeting January. Um, and what that really means for everyone globally is that hops will, you know, we're getting things done sooner. Uh, we're getting them done faster, uh, but it's still at the same level of quality or if not better. So um, it means that everyone will get stuff or 21 crop will be available sooner to everyone. Um, and it also means that things were produced uh, when they were more fresh. So, you know, it, it, it really pushes up the quality aspect. Even things aren't sitting for, you know, six months to, to get into a pellet. So um, so I'm really excited about that this year because that means, you know, for, for people around the globe looking to ship hops or people wanting to pull off their hop contracts or even getting stuff into homebrew packaging, that's all kind of happening a lot faster than it has historically. Cool. And uh, as always, uh, these are available through your web store for homebrewers? Yep. Yeah, we have uh, we do a lot of distribution uh, to homebrew shops, uh, homebrew supply shops uh, through Country Malt Group, through LD Carlson, um, and some other other distributors around the globe. Um, but yeah, here in North America. Um, but yeah, and then yes, we do sell some direct on our website as well. Um, we have kind of a, a, a good chunk of different varieties available. I think we have some Cryo on there, uh, a little bit of American Noble, um, a couple new varieties, things like that. So there's always something on there, uh, whether you want to get it just directly from us or if you're looking for it somewhere. Yeah, you know, if your homebrew shop carries them, that's always the best way to go. But uh, if they don't have what you need or you're not near a homebrew shop, it's great to have the option of ordering directly from you guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Yeah, I've, I've done it before just because I don't want to have to drive into town to go to the homebrew store. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm lazy, exactly. what can I say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. We're, we are in the world of a lot of online shopping these days, aren't we? Yeah, no kidding. Drew, you got anything else for Brian? No, all I can say is uh, good luck uh, closing out the busy season and getting into the yeah. next busy season. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we're excited. I can't believe we're already looking at the last week ahead of us here. It, it, every year it goes by in a flash. So, Wow. Well, uh, everybody, uh, again, we've been talking to Brian Pierce from Yakima Chief Hops, and we're going to have Brian back a couple more times to talk about other stuff going on there. They have some amazing new products coming down the road, uh, and there's just, you know, there's always cool new stuff in the hop world. So we're going to have Brian back real soon and talk about more. In the meantime, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, man. Yeah, you bet. It's always fun hanging out with you guys. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'll look forward to when we get to talk next. Yeah, and and get up there and have some tacos. Yes, yes. We'll have some tacos, and (laughs) maybe we'll we'll be drinking a fresh hot pato beer together or something. Oh, I'd love to try it, buddy. All (laughs) right, man. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. Yep, you as well. Thank you, guys. You bet. Bye-bye. Sounds like uh, overall it's been a good year for him, huh? Yes, and thankfully no smoke. <laughs> yeah, right. Or or very little smoke, you know. Um, and the weather was hot, but it didn't seem to affect either the uh, quality or the yield. So uh, I think all in all, it's going to be a good year for hops. Yep. Can't wait, can't wait to see what people are doing, and I can't wait to see what some of these new experimental varieties are coming up doing. Because, look, you guys know, like a shiny, uh, shiny little retriever, you know, distracted by squirrel. What's the new flavor? <laughs> yeah, right. And it sounds like there are some new flavors coming, you know, the, like uh, expanding on what's been there before. And uh, I want to remind you all that Brian will be back another time or two talking about some of the new products that Yakima Chief has coming out and uh, more about uh, new hop varieties and stuff like that. So uh, stay tuned <laughs> if you can tune your computer. And, uh, and Brian will be back with more great hop info in the future. Okay, so it's time for us to hit the road and let you guys get on with the rest of your life. We're going to hear some more messages from our sponsors, and then we'll be wrapping up and getting out of here. So please stick around. The Brew Deck Podcast features exclusive interviews with your favorite brewers and suppliers. Each episode highlights new trends and brewing tips from leaders in the industry to inspire your next brew. Listen to the Brew Deck Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back. No Q&A this week. I guess people have been getting tired of us giving them bogus answers or something. But we do have a quick tip before we wrap things up. Yeah, and this quick tip is really more about inspiration because we all go through fallow periods, times when we're like, I don't know what to brew. Right? So what do you do? 
And we're going to tell you in the past, we've talked about, hey, you know, decide on one tactic, one technique, something that you want to explore. I'm going to give you a different tip this time, which is look to the past to inspire your future. That's right. So what we're talking about here is if you find yourself kind of stuck and, you know, it's easy to get stuck now that we have all these toys to play with. You know, it's like, oh, I got to I got to brew this multi corn. I got to brew this new hop. I got to brew this yeast. And you start to kind of become almost frantic and unfocused. Go back and look at a beer recipe that you've made, preferably one that you made a while back, and look at it through your eyes today and brew it again. Use what you've learned over time, the practices that you've changed, the new thoughts that you have about what sort of grains or what sort of hops should go on things. Adjust your recipe, use your newfound brewing techniques, and see exactly what happens. Yeah, um, you know, not just to inspire you, but to challenge you. Uh, you know, if it's been a few years since you brewed that beer before, you undoubtedly have acquired new processes and techniques, maybe even some new ingredients or something. So it's time to go back and brew that beer again and see if you've either turned out a better beer or had a better time brewing it with what you've learned in the meantime. It's, it's, it's fun to do, but, and you know, I'm the kind of guy who brews recipes over and over again all the time anyway. And I have really seen an evolution in what happens when I brew them, at least in my brewing experience, if not the beer itself. So give it a shot. What the heck, what do you got to lose? You'll end up with beer. There you go. Looking forward by looking back. <laughs> oh, that sounds confusing. I know, right? Uh, you know, I could be a professional sloganeer, but I'm not. I'm a semi-professional podcaster. And so before we get out of here, we're going to leave you with one other thing, something other than beer. Because, of course, life is more than just about beer. And what I'm going to give you guys is, no surprise, it is the book Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. And this is Andy Weir's third book after The Martian and um, Artemis. Wait, yeah, Artemis. Uh, let me put it this way. I, I was not a huge fan of Artemis necessarily, um, but I freaking love The Martian. And if you love The Martian, you will love Project Hail Mary. It is very much that same thing, you know, science fiction adventure. What can science solve for you today? You know, how do you avoid death in the moment? Because you've, you know how to science the thing. Uh, and in particular, just as with our feedback suggesting going and listening to Steve Martin read his biography, I actually got Project Hail Mary on Audible as an audiobook, and it got very confusing for me because the narrator of the book is Ray Porter, and I'm sitting here, I'm listening to this, and of course, it's kind of a you know, smart-alecky, white guy, sciencey dude, and then I realized the reason I was getting confused was Ray Porter also narrates the the Bobaverse series that I talk about, <laughs> which is about a smart alecky white guy who turns into gets turned into a computer AI and sent off into space. So <laughs> it was very confusing for uh, for a couple of chapters because I was like, wait, what series am I listening to? Uh, but Ray Porter, of course, gives a great performance. But I would tell you, go listen, go read Project Hail Mary. It is again that same sort of Martian formula of, you know. Uh oh, this thing done broke. How do I get out of this? Uh, again and again and again for the entire book. Um, very compelling science fiction story. And of course, Andy, Andy Weir writes in a way that is very easy and compelling to read, drags you along into the next chapter, which is always good for when you just want to get lost in the story. Cool. Sounds interesting. Yep. All right. Let's get out of here, buddy. All right. 
Thank you all for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, which is experimentalbrew.com. Don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We hang out all over the place. Uh, you can find me mainly on the AHA forum and Facebook. Drew hangs out on the homebrewing subreddit and the Slack homebrewing channel when he's not working, which is almost never. <laughs> Don't forget that if you want to ask us a question, suggest topics, recipes, experiments, or just rant and rave, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of each one of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at experimentalbrew.com. And, of course, you can send us a text, leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1-ALE. That's 626 626- Seven six five one two five three. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally or brew wacky, and we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.